0: We're going, to, we're going to jump right in. I want to pray real quick. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity to speak over your people today, Lord. Be with me as I speak your word and, and let it touch the hearts and minds of our people, Lord. Amen. All right, we're, going to, we're just going to jump right in. I want to say hi to all the guests, though, and all of our online people. Welcome to New Spring. I hope you enjoy the service. And we're going to start this service off. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15, uh, 1 through 7. Now we've probably, if you've been to church a lot, we've uh, we've probably heard this parable a few times, but it's a good one. And I want us to see it as Jesus sees it. I want us to have the eyes of Christ. So this is the one about Jesus leaving to find the one lost sheep, leaving the 99 to find the one lost. And the whole point of this I'm wanting to bring is we need to have the eyes and the heart of God and realize the power of one. So that's, that's our focus right now, right? Win one to win a 1,000. So we're going to jump in with Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. If you were here a few weeks ago, Pastor hit this uh, same point and he kept saying, he was like sinners. How dare they? Dare he? It cracked me up. So now that's all I think about when I read that first line. So then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he does, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that it is the same way there will be more more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So as a kid, I remember hearing and reading this scripture and I was always like, no way. I am not leaving 99 to go find one. That's crazy. Jesus, you're crazy. <laughs> I, I, Just the way I thought about it. So, you know, growing older and becoming a parent, I got a different perspective of it. So what if, what if the, it wasn't sheep? I was literally applying sheep to the parable, but it's children. So imagine you have 100 children and one of them gets lost. What are you going to do as a parent, right? You're going to chase after that one. And you're going to rejoice when you find them. Find and that's how Jesus sees us. Imagine having a lost child, but not only were they lost, but they were also running from you, making it all that much more harder to find. That, that, was, that was me. I, I ran hard, but Jesus, he, he relentlessly pursued me. And in my running, in my lifestyle of living in rebellion, I met a lot of people right I, along the way the more you run the more people you meet um, and the more people see you in that lifestyle until one day you stop running you something hits you finally stop running you drop to your knees you look you see jesus finally and you run to him that's that's what happens and then and then in all your all your running all these people seeing you in that that lifestyle and then they see that change in you and they're like whoa something's real, something happened, because last week he was a nut job. He, something changed in him. So win one to win a 1,000. We never know how many people are going to see us in that lifestyle, and then when we're changed, man, it could change their life, like, wow. So what if the running, the person running is someone, you know, your own blood or someone you're very close to? That seems to be the most difficult situation, right? It's always the ones that are closest to us that, we're, that we're trying to win them for Christ is the hardest. And one thing I believe that would help tremendously in this area for us Christians is if we are more approachable. So if we're more approachable, that means people, it's going to allow people to want to talk to us if we're approachable. To be approachable means to be caring and loving and non-judgmental. So how how can we allow ourselves to be more approachable when it comes to people telling us how they truly feel? Allowing people to speak honestly with, with us without them feeling judged. And I believe that the start of great communication and great relationships, we have to look within ourselves. We have to see ourselves. It's, it's called emotional intelligence, if anybody's ever heard that phrase. Being aware of how you react and how it affects those around us. I mean, we have, we've all known people that are super intelligent in that area and some people that are not so intelligent in that area. We all know someone that's like, all right, this guy has no clue how he is making everybody feel. Someone needs to tell him. We all, we've all been through that. But we, something we all need to work on is, is our emotional intelligence. So there's a reason that the world thinks negatively towards the church. And for the most part, from my experience, I can tell you it's due to Phariseism, which is just another word for hypocrisy. But hypocrisy, not like like you're thinking, hypocrisy within ourselves. We might even not even realize we're doing it. So the moment we purposely or subconsciously put ourselves above someone due to their lifestyle or their struggle with sin, we are we are being hypocritical thinking that we don't struggle with sin ourselves. Right? We all struggle. Every single day. And the moment we think we're not and we're better than that person, we set ourselves higher, we are alienating them. That is why the church a lot of times gets a bad name. Too many of us are putting ourselves above others. I was watching a show a few weeks ago, and one of the characters said said something about maybe going to church on a Sunday. And the other character's response was, yeah, where people go just to judge one another. So I, I took that. I was like, man, that, there's a reason that that writer felt so strongly that he put that in the script for the whole world to see. Something happened to that writer to make him want to do that. And I can tell you that Satan, the enemy, the enemy's platform is extremely large, right? He has TV and he has music. Those two things alone are like nuclear weapons against us trying to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? It's huge platforms. All we have is us, our community, our church, to counteract what Satan is trying to do to the world. We need to save the world. That is our commission. That's what we are called to be to do as Christians. So the only time that that's going to happen when we say to. to reach someone is when we put ourselves right beside them not above them but right beside them be on their same level the only way to do that is if we're honest with ourselves when we have a judgmental posture it's people are not going to talk to us so like look at my face like if somebody's pouring their heart out and they're telling us about their sins and their struggles and we're like this do you know what that says That says, I can't believe you did that. There's no no way. Look, if you're you're getting saved, honestly, it's a coin toss, whether you're getting into heaven or not. That, That is what that face says. We have to watch our body language whenever people are speaking to us and being real with us. We have to watch it. And we have to be honest we we've done some pretty bad things in our lives ourselves right don't think that just because we've been out of their lifestyle for so long it don't count we we have to be on their same level we have to relate to them so we had a wednesday night one night and we didn't have a large group so me and the leaders we we took advantage of that time and we sat in a big circle and we we just wanted to ask some difficult questions and we asked, is it hard as a teenager to have faith right now? And if so, why? And all their answers were yes. Yes, it's hard. I said, why? I said, because when you're going to school and you're surrounded by your peers and you just want to have fun. And having faith feels like you can't have fun and still be a Christian. That's, that's how they felt. They were all kind of saying the same thing. The, most thing. the one thing I can tell you about most teenagers and even adults is most don't want to live a hypocritical life. Most of them don't want to go to school, live one way, and come to church or home and live another. They don't want to do that. But I firmly believe as, as the church, we kind of put them in that situation by not being approachable. They feel like they can't talk to us they're afraid of the judgment because of our reactions and judgment toward others people fear to talk to us they they doubt that we can help with their issues in their relationship with jesus um i hate I, i hate putting my son on the spot but a few years ago he uh he was struggling with his relationship and he was asking amanda or amanda asked him of you know just having a conversation about God, he said, I don't know if I believe in all this. And Amanda says, why? Just why? And he was shocked that she even just calmly asked why. He thought he was going to get in trouble. He thought he was going to get grounded because the way he felt. And that puts us like, like, whoa, it made us think. Like we have to watch how we react when someone is being real with us. Like, instead of looking at them like they're crazy, just listen to what they're saying. We've all been there. I don't know a single teenager that didn't struggle with their faith. It's hard, you know, when you're young, you're trying to develop it. <clears throat> so people would rather hide their struggles and, than to ask for help, which in doing that, that creates an atmosphere of hypocrisy, right? To build, to, to live a life of hypocrisy. If, if we're not approachable, They can't talk to us. We have to talk to one another. How we react can make or break someone's faith completely. That's the same. I mean, I hear it all the time. Just throughout the years of being a Christian and talking to people that aren't in church or believe in Christ, their biggest thing is something happened back in their life with church. And they're like, I don't want to be a part of that. There's no way why would I want to be a part of that? Because they were judged instead of letting someone just listen. They were judged instead. They were alienated. So they were done. So we have a lot of repairing to do as a church to the world. We have to be approachable. The teens talk to us like that because I I hope they feel this way. I feel like they feel this way. But they talk to us real because we, they know we're not going to sit there and judge them. They're, we're not going to talk about it outside the youth room. We're just, going to, we're just going to raise them up. We're going to guide them and try our best to guide them to a higher faith. And they know that. So they're comfortable with being real with us. It's not my job to, to judge their struggle or sin that they're dealing with. Not my job. It's not who I am. I'm just going to meet them right where they're at because I've had a rough life my younger years. There's, there's, I am not above that. I will meet them right where they're at. So my leaders are the same way. If I didn't have people in my life that was the same way, I wouldn't be on this stage. If it wasn't for Pastor Shannon, I wouldn't be on this stage. I, I am, uh, there's several religious people in my past that still look at me like I'm a 20-year-old drug addict. They can't get past it, but all those years ago, I remember we went to dinner with Pastor and we're talking, I told him everything. I told him everything about my past, about being a heroin addict for five years and all the things and struggles I went through. His, you know what his answer was? Well, I think, uh, I think we can get you in a serving opportunity with the teens. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. So in my past, I've always been kind of put on a leash but he, he let me go. He let me fly. And it's been great. So our pastor knows the power of serving and, and giving the opportunity to, to reach other people. He knows how important it is. He has the heart for it. And he just, I love my pastor. Like, he's awesome. So, I want to talk about the woman at the well for a minute. We've probably all heard this story, many of us have, but the woman at the well is a great story. Um, in this story, uh, the po- one key point, Jesus has not announced that he is the Messiah yet. He, he, everybody looks at him like a prophet, a teacher, but he has not announced that he is the son of God yet. So John 4 is when this starts. And he meets this woman at the well in the middle of the day, which is the hottest part of the day. That's another important point. So when it starts at John 4, John, or <laughs> John, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? So his disciples at this point had gone to town to buy food. So it was just Jesus and the Samaritan woman, which was also a big no-no back then. You don't, a guy like Jesus, with his stature, meeting a Samaritan woman by herself at the well no, didn't happen. That, that's a big no-no. Jesus didn't care, no matter where she was at. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She says this because there's a huge racial tension between Samaritans and Jews at this time. They didn't really talk to each other. So she's kind of shocked that he's even there. but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. In fact, You have five husbands, you've had had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, that always cracks me up. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So that always gives me goosebumps. That last line always gives me goosebumps. Why, why did I tell you this story? There are a couple reasons. Jesus met this woman where she was at, at the well in the middle of the heat. So why is the, the time of day important? So normal people get their, get their water in the morning before the day gets blistering hot. So why was she there during the hottest part of the day? So she went there at that time so she didn't have to see anyone. She knew everyone around her judges her for her way of life and looks down on her. So to avoid, to avoid all that, she decides to go through the torture of the heat and did so did so, so she didn't have to feel so belittled by religious folks. She knew that the way she was living was not right. It was wrong. But she couldn't talk to anyone about it. She had no one, she had an entire community but couldn't speak to anyone. Jesus didn't care. He went he went and he wanted to meet her right where she was at. He didn't look down on her. He just cared. He loved her. Showed her she matters. How did she matter? Jesus had not yet announced who he was. He Jesus revealed that he was the son of God, the coming Messiah to a Samaritan woman who was living in obvious sin. That shows you the heart of God. That shows you how Jesus operates. And we need to copy that as a church. There are lost people out there and Jesus needs us to invite him, show them, show them him. That's our job, that's what we gotta do. But we can't be like the Pharisees. We can't be like this woman's community and completely shun people because they're not living like the way we live. We can only do that by living like Jesus, being like Jesus. Jesus was real with this woman. He was authentic. If there's one thing I've noticed about teenagers and most adults, when you're real with them, they'll be real with you. Teenagers are really good at spotting out not real, and they won't respect you. You have to be real, and when you are, you'll get through. That's the way it is for just humanity for the most part. It gets them, when we, when we stop thinking above people and we start thinking beside them, people will be comfortable enough. They will get past their insecurities to open themselves up to us so that we can help navigate what they need. It's, if, if you're a Christian today, you were saved from the grip of hell, right? Right? At some point in your life, Jesus reached down and he got you. We need to express the hell that we've all been through to people to be on their same level. They have to, that's the only way they can relate to us. Don't be afraid to talk about your hell. If you can talk about your hell, it's a real easy segue into how you got out. And you can show them how to get out, right? So a couple weeks ago, I was at my shop and... This old biker shows up, um, a rough dude, hard, an old hard biker, and he has a flat tire on his Harley, and he said, I can't find nobody to do this. So we bring the tire in, and I'm, we're changing, and he, he kind of mentions the Harley is all he has. Man, this is this is my outlet. This is all I have, and he said, so I, I heard that, and I, I, I went in just not a whole lot of detail, but I said, hey, man, I, I had a hard life in the past, too. I was addicted to heroin for five years and lived a rough life, and I was saved. Christ saved me, and I was able to get out. And I said, you can come to my church anytime. And he, he, something just switched in him at that moment because I, I got on his level. I related to him. And he, he started telling me about how his wife had just died. And three months later, his son died of an OD. And he's sitting there telling me this. You know, he's down on, on the ground. I'm looking for a tool. And he's just down on the ground looking at me with tears welling in his eyes. Just completely opening himself up because I got on his level. I, don't, I hope that seed that I planted grows at some point. I hope he's in here one day. But the only way I got through to him like that is by opening myself up, being true to myself, and letting him see that person. Not the perfection. Not that I'm perfect. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we have to be able to open ourselves up and be real with people so they can, they can relate to us. Worship team, you can, you guys can start working your way up. The big thing a lot of people struggle with when it comes to sharing their testimony of how they were saved is insecurity. They're afraid of what people will think of even their past. But we have to remember, we are not, our identity is not in our past. We got a new identity when we were saved from hell. Our identity is in Christ. So we, we got to get past the insecurities. There's nothing stronger in life that will keep you from your greatest victories than insecurity. When you step out of your insecurity, your box, that's when you're gonna win. nothing gonna stop you when you get past that. You Gotta get past it. You feel the heart tug, you feel, you feel the Holy Spirit coming on you to say something, just do it, get it out. This first word is the hardest to get out. Once you get that first one out, you're good to go. Just get past it. Don't be afraid to talk about your salvation story. In this church, we should all know each other's salvation story. I should know every one of your stories. If we, we have a community like that, we will know who to send someone to in certain situations. We'll know how to, who to talk to ourselves when we face certain situations, or our circumstances in life. We, we need to band together, move as a unit, and affect the world because Satan ain't playing, man, he is in our face. He is bold and we have to fight back. We have to win. We have a lot of loved ones in our families that need need Christ and we gotta stop holding ourselves back. We gotta step out. So in this next few minutes, I I would like everybody to just stand and worship with us. These altars are open for anybody who wants prayer, who wants to pray and worship. If you don't have Christ this morning, I challenge you to walk up here and start your story today. Let's take a few minutes of worship.